as I stand to speak, help me and help those who listen to understand that only as the Holy Spirit is listening to, only as the Holy Spirit brings the word to our hearts, are we truly doing business with God. And I need your help to so speak, and we need your help to so hear. We ask that you will grant us the petition of our hearts to listen and to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Listening to be heard. One of the world's most famous atheists in, in the 18th century was a man by the name <coughs> excuse me, of David Humes, a Scottish skeptic. And one day David Humes was seen rushing down one of the streets in Scotland. And someone stopped Dr. Humes and said, Mr. Humes, why are you in such a hurry? And Dr. Humes responded, I am on my way to listen to George Whitfield. George Whitfield, but he's a Christian. Surely, Dr. Humes, you don't believe what he believes, do you? No, said Dr. Humes, but he believes it. He believes it. Dr. Hume didn't mind listening to George Whitfield and to John Wesley, but he didn't believe what they believed. Is it possible that, it, that someone has come into this church this morning just to listen, but not to hear? This is what, this is what James is, is, is dealing with. One of the most interesting characters in the Bible is Herod. And, and in the, the Gospel of Mark, listen to this. When Herod heard John the Baptist preaching, he was perplexed at what John was saying, even though he enjoyed listening to John. He was perplexed when John spoke. Herod, Herod would, would clench his fifth fist and grit his teeth. And he almost wanted to choke John, but he enjoyed listening to John. As someone else put it, he was charmed by listening, but he was not changed by listening. And that can happen. When we first studied the, uh, started the study in the book of James, the last section we studied 22 to 24, it had to do about how we listen to one another. How we listen to one another. And as Christmas was coming on, the 1st of December, we went into messages on Advent and then the birth of Christ, the coming of Christ. And after these months, we're returning now. It seems almost like a new study. It is to some extent, but it's a continuation of what we have been studying the last several, several months leading up to that time. 
So James now is continuing, and in one verse, he packages something for us that is absolutely unique. He talks about listening. But the listening that he has here has to do with listening to God's word. And this is how he puts it as as we look at it. But one who looks intently at the perfect law. The key word there is to look. To look. And and I want to suggest a, a few things in how to listen in order to hear from this text this morning. In the first part of verse 25, he's saying that if we listen to hear, it will happen because we have a disciplined attitude. It is because we have a disciplined attitude. The attitude with which we left home, the attitude that we had while coming here, will be the attitude that will determine what we hear while we're here. Attitude will determine how we hear. This word for look, some translations have the word to look intently. Uh, That is a good translation of the word. But the best illustration of the word is seen in John chapter 20. When Mary went to where the disciples were, and he said to them, The Lord is risen and we don't know where to find him. Peter and John immediately took off, running. Now the reason they were running is because they wanted to get to the place where Jesus was buried to see if what Mary had said was true. So they were looking while they were moving and they were believing, at least thinking about what they were going to see when they got there. And when Peter and John got to the tomb, It says, listen to what Peter did. He bent over and looked in. He bent over. See, if you don't bend, you won't look, you won't see. (laughs) Uh, When when we were in Israel and we went to what is supposed to be the, the empty tomb, we had to bend down and to look in. And when we looked in the tomb, We saw certain things that could be or could not be, we don't know. The idea is that when you come, you've got to come with an attitude in which you are ready to stoop at God's word. You are ready to listen to what God has to say. You don't come with an attitude, I don't care what he has to say, I don't want to hear. That's what Herod did. That's what Dr. Humes did. And people who come with a a careless attitude, not willing to listen in order to hear, will just let the word not even enter in and enter out. They will just stop the word from coming altogether. Because he's talking about the word of God here. Before he looked in, he had to bend over. Before you will hear this morning, my friends, you will have to submit your attitude to God. I will have to submit my attitude to God. I can't come, we used to call it in college, some students, uh, and, and I, I, didn't, I didn't know much about Oregon when I was in, in college. Went to school with a number of students from, from Oregon, um, one or two from Lebanon, didn't even know where Lebanon was. 
at that time. But, but some of the students used to have what we used to call a DRA. Have you ever had that in college, a DRA? A dirty, rotten attitude. <laughs> and they, they, they would sit in classes and they would just, just fool around and, and play it. I, one, of, one, of the, one of my favorite lines is students who sit at the back of the class. I'm not going to say what they are. This one, one guy fell asleep in, in class. And the school I went to, the first school I went to, we had to answer questions. <laughs> and the, the teacher asked him to answer a question. And somebody poked him in his side and said, hey, the prof said to pray. <laughs> it's a true story. And he got up and he prayed. <laughs> and the teacher said, thanks for praying, now I want you to answer the question. <laughs> See, he didn't go into class to listen. He went with a DRA. And my friends, in the same way, the same way, when we come to church, we have to come prepared to listen, or we will not hear. Several years ago, as the computer was just beginning to make its way into the whole community of people, the University of Iowa prevented computers from the classroom. Said the professor, these were law students. And he said, the reason I prohibited computer from my classroom is because I have discovered that while I was teaching, they were looking at the stock market. And think, my friends, let, let, you know, I thought of that this, as I was studying this on Thursday. Please be careful if anyone uses the, the, the laptop or the iPhone for the scriptures, please be sure that you keep to the scriptures. Don't allow something else because you don't, you know, things spring up on your screen that you don't want there. And just imagine if something like that can take your attention from God's word in God's house. You must have a disciplined attitude. You cannot bring anything to rival the word of God. This is what the text is talking about. But it is also not only a disciplined attitude. If you're going to look, you've got to do what is necessary. You've got to bend over. You've got to stoop. So you listen. Because you have to have a disposition of self-abasement. I'm going to tell you what I mean by that. Listen to what it says. But the one who looks intently into the perfect law, the perfect law, the only thing that is perfect in your world and mine is God's word. And if I go to that word thinking that I have a better idea than God, I am not a self-abased person. A self-abased person is a person who has an attitude that I know what I need to know and I don't need anyone else to tell me about it. One of my favorite verses in Psalm 119 is Psalm 119, 128. I consider your word right with everything and consider anything that rivals your word to be wrong. That sounds almost like we are so narrow-minded, but my friends, when you play the game by the rule, you have to be narrow-minded. 
self-abasement. We, we, we come to hear from the perfect law, not the opinion of a man. And that's why the man who stands to speak must make sure that he is actually proclaiming or heralding the truth. Not his opinion. My wife read something to me that someone came up with about what they think, how they think of God. And my friend, it is so, it's so blasphemous. And this person is talking about God. This is my conclusion about God. Friends, you can have no conclusion about God because you don't know God. God reveals himself so that you can come to conclusion, but you can't come to conclusion in order that God might reveal himself to you. The perfect law. God's law is perfect. You know what that word perfect means, literally? It's not mean without error. You know what it means? To be complete. It needs no up, the updating, you cannot take away from it. That's why the scripture says, don't add to it, because it's complete. Jesus said, I did not come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. So when it says the perfect law, you don't know of any piece of literature in the world that is complete within itself. The scriptures are 66 books, 40 different writers, no confusion. No competitiveness. Some of them didn't know each other, but when they wrote years after, they just concert with others. Listen to the scriptures. The sum of thy word is truth. That is, the, your word put together is truth. Psalm 19, verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect. When I come to this word, my friends, I do not come to have a controversy with God. When I come to this word, I do not come to argue with God. He alone knows what is perfect. He alone gives a perfect law for us to obey. You know, people like to think that the Bible is so restrictive. If I obey it, I can't do this, I can't do that. It's, isn't it interesting? We talk about what we can't do, but we never talk about what we can do. Let me ask a question. Those of you who are involved in sports, are there rules in the game you are playing that you have to obey the, the rules so that the game is played correctly? I can, I can, I can it's, it's interesting, you know, I, uh, I do watch basketball, but I'm getting, no, you don't need to give your opinion, but, you know, and, and there is one guy with one team, every time the ref calls a foul on this guy, this guy said, I'm not, I'm not guilty. You probably find that with, People, when you're ref basketball, I, I didn't. Me? <laughs> of all the people, do you think that I would ever? My friends, it's bad when we do that with a ref, but when we do that with God, it's worse. It's worse. You know why? For two reasons. 
when we, when we are indifferent to the word of God, it hurts God. Let me tell you how God hurts. God doesn't hurt the way you and I hurt. God hurts because he knows what your rebellion is doing to you. Not to him. God is perfect. He doesn't need anything. God hurts because you are rejecting the law by which he has given life to you, direction to you. Only that law is perfect. And we're living in a day when we are revamping everything of the complete laws of God. Listen to Isaiah chapter 66. Listen. Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you should build for me, and what is the place for my, my rest? All these things my, hands has made, my hand has made. And so all these things came into being by me, declares the Lord. But, but, this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and who trembles at my word. God said, I've made a universe complex as anything, but the one to whom I give attention is someone with a humble spirit who trembles at my word. Have you ever come across the words, friends, of the Lord Jesus, he who hears my words and believe it shall live. But he who hears my word and does not believe it is condemned. Does that, does that make you tremble that if you play fast and loose with God's word, one of the things I pray almost every day, Lord, help me never to traffic in your word. Never to see what I like or what I don't like about your word. Yours is the perfect, perfect law. 1 Peter 24, 25. All flesh is grass. All the glory of the flower of, of the grass. The grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of the Lord remains forever. It is complete. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. God said everything is changing. And rightly so. But the one permanent thing that remains intact from beginning to end is the perfect law of liberty. Now listen to what this text says. That God's word brings liberty. Isn't that amazing? What does it mean? The liberty of God's law means that when I come to faith in Jesus Christ, He delivers me from the control of sin and Satan. You can read that in Colossians 1.13. He delivers me from that. And He doesn't put me into a corner where I have to do what He says or else. <laughs> no. He puts me into a neutral position and he gives me his word and he says, no, you are free to choose. That's, that's a freedom 
See, I choose not to do certain things, not because someone is pressuring me not to do it or to do it, but I choose to do it because I know it is right. It comes from God. I make myself subject. I, I willingly, Paul said, though I am free from all men, I make myself a slave of all men. Nobody controls me. God does. That's the liberty we have. There's not another thing in the world that brings that kind of liberty to any person, any person at all. Everyone is living outside of Jesus Christ as a slave. You've got to do what your nature tells you to do. I don't have to. You don't have to if you belong to Jesus Christ. You don't have to. We're free. Jesus Christ died to, 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 to give us the privilege. You know, I was talk, talking to my class this morning. I said, how many laws existed in the Garden of Eden? How many laws? One. One. Don't eat the tree. And when Jesus came and he was asked that question, he says, there's still one law. But there's another law that comes out of that law. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. It comes out of the first law. There's still only one law. But that one law, my friends, encompasses all of life. The Jews added some 700 more laws to live by, and I'm thankful I don't have to obey any of them. So that is what we have in the preparing to listen. We must have a disciplined attitude and we must have a disposition of self-abasement. We can't come with a DRA to God and expect that God has to listen to us. Second part of the verse. Second part of the verse. The proof of listening. What is the proof that I have listened? That I have heard? Number one, we retains, we retain, not tains, we retain the truth, but abides or continues it. He who hears, who listens and abides in the word. He's not a, someone who hears, okay, I'll pay that attention, but I'm going to tell you as soon as I leave here, that's it. He's not a forgetful hearer. And the word here for forgetful hearer is not someone who, man. You know, last night we, we were on our way here and, and about at, I, I guess, just outside Albany, I heard my wife saying, oh, no. And I, you know, I thought I was running into a deer or something. I don't know what. <laughs> She, 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 she put something out on our printer and she forgot to pick it up. And we're, we're driving now. We're almost in Albany. And I am hoping that she doesn't say, sweetheart, <laughs> honey, can we make a U-turn? <laughs> that kind of forgetting, my friends, is natural. That's not what this word is saying here. You know what it is saying? Willingly neglect. 
willingly neglect. My wife did not leave that thing by willingly neglecting it. She put it there for a purpose and other things just got in the way that we took off. And I saw it myself and I just thought she was going to do it. You know when you think that something will be done by someone else? <laughs> I could have helped easily. He retains the word. How, how does one retain the word? My friends, if we're listening this morning, as God's word is being given, you will become aware in your spirit by God's spirit speaking to you of something that, that you have to pay attention to. And that thing will become a part of what you are becoming, what you will become. What are you to do with it? Deuteronomy 6, 6 to 9. And these words that I command you today shall be in your heart initially. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You're sharing it. You shall talk about it when you sit down in your house and when you walk by the way. And when you lie down. And when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. And they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of yours. You know what they're saying? Don't let it die. Remind yourself. Speak to yourself. How do you speak? I bring God's word to, to retain it. The word is to memorize. To memorize. And, and, and to, to memorize, literally, the word to memorize means to speak to yourself. You're speaking the word over and over again. And I'm told that this is how animals, cows, chew their food. They have two stomachs. And they go in and out with it. The gruesome thing, isn't it? This is how they retain it. That's precisely the word here. Listening in order to obey will lead to retaining, abiding in, continuing it. Don't let it die when you leave the door. In fact, don't let it die now. Listening in order will lead to retaining. Oh, friends, I, I wish... I, you know, I remember, I remember the, the, the day I became a Christian. And, uh, and, and my heart was open to God's word for the first time in my life. I remember at 18, at 18, I started to read my Bible because I thought I was going to die. I had the flu. I really did. I thought I was going to die. I better read. But I wasn't reading to hear God's word. I was reading to get better but not to obey. Because it was not until three and a half years later that I became a believer. If we are to retain God's word, my friends, we have got to begin to do something about retaining it. Too often it becomes the easiest thing to forget it. We like what we hear, but it doesn't register. Don't neglect what you hear today. Not what I say, but what the Holy Spirit 
speaks to your heart about this morning. Not only is he retaining the word, but he's ruled by the word and obey. And obey. Do you know, when I was getting ready to, to, to get my driver's license, I had to read a manual. But that manual was not simply for reading. That manual was for obeying. That manual was going to tell me what to do when, what to tell me if. When I see yellow lines, what do I do? When I see a blue light, what do you do? It's, it's not, the, the, the law of God is not suggestions. It's not options. The law of God are commands, they are laws. But friends, that law is given to you and to me by a loving father who loves us enough to send his son into the world. And if he sent his son into the world, do you think that he will keep anything lesser from us? The law of the Lord is perfect. And if I want something to challenge me to live truthfully, see how difficult it is to be ruled by the word of God. The word to hear, to hear or to be ruled by, he hears. He's listening and now he's hearing. The word is the word, the English word from which we get our word poem, P-O-E-M. And, and whenever we think of a poem, we think of the work of someone, Alan Poe or Longfellow. Or, and I was going over one in, 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 in my life. I learned it in, in, in grammar school. And it's, it has kept with me. The heights by great men reached and kept were not attained by sudden flights, but they, while their companions slept, were toiling upward through the night. In other words, don't be lazy. <laughs> A poem. It puts together words. It balances words. I'll tell you what the Bible says. The Bible says when we, when we were ruled by the truth, we adorn the gospel. It's like putting on... It's like putting on a fresh suit of clothing. Uh, you know, oftentimes as I'm standing at the door there, someone will say, oh, I like your tie, or I like this. And immediately, what do I say? My wife dresses me. <laughs> immediately it goes to her because it's true. My friends, can your, living, can your living be one of adorning the truth? That the way you live, the way you behave, you are adorning God's word. Let me quickly read this. I won't read the whole thing. It's the story of Jacob and Simeron. Simeron didn't want Jacob to tell him anything about the gospel. Jacob was an evangelist. And he said, Jacob, Simeron is talking, Simeron is talking to, to Jacob, my own nephew was killed by Christians. And was angrily rebuffed any effort. He angrily rebuffed any um, um, attempt by Jacob to tell him of the gospel. And he said, I'm asking you one thing. Please do not speak anymore to me about your Christian faith. I don't want to hear it. Jacob said, okay, I will. Looking for an occasion to get 
Zimmerman to change his line of thinking, Jacob came up with this. Zimmerman, can I ask you a question? Suppose I were to steal your coat, put it on, break into a bank. Suppose further that the police sighted me running in the distance but could not catch up with me. One clue, however, put them onto my tracks. They would recognize your coat. What would you say to them if they came to your house and accused you of breaking into the bank? I would deny it, said Zimmerman. Ah, but we saw your coat, they would say. Jacob said. And the analogy began to break through annoying Zimmerman, as he was saying, as he was going. Finally, I'm going to jump down. Finally, he said, as Jacob continued to return to the village periodically, just as to befriend his friend, encourage him, share the love of Christ, not tell him about it, but share it. As Tim Kebo said, I saw it before I believed it. Jacob taught him the simple steps of repentance for sin and trust in the work of Jesus Christ and gently pointed him to the shepherd of his soul. Listen now, this is what I want to get at. As he rose to his feet, wiping the tears from his eyes, he embraced Jacob and said, Thank you for being in my life. And I want to thank you for wearing his coat well. My friends, that's what it means to do the word of God. Jesus says the same thing, the very same thing in Matthew chapter 7. He says, everyone who hears my word and does them. Everyone who hears my word and does it. Now, it's not the only hearing. If you are not hearing this morning, my friends, it's because you are dull to the spirit. And you need to be delivered from hard of hearing. I'll tell you why. Because, my friends, we cannot want God to listen to us if we are not willing to listen to God. That's what we have here. Do it. Let me quickly close. The proof of listening is that we retain the word and we are ruled by the word. We wear his coat well. Paul said to to Titus, Titus 2.9, adorn the gospel of Jesus Christ. Adorn it. Put it on like a piece of clothing. Let's look at the power, quickly, the power of listening. Again, this is the third part of uh, the, gospel, the, 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 the text. First, it enhances the quality of life. That man is blessed. This word, my friends, is a word that is reserved for those who are enjoying the pleasures of God in his or her life. It doesn't mean that they walk around with their heads high. It means that their life is, is controlled by something that is unique, that gives them a quality of life and living that is not true of others. Others. 
time is gone. So let me give you five things, five things that shows an enhanced life. Five things. Number one, an enhanced life is a life that is led, not driven. Psalm 23, he leads me. He leads me. A, a driven life, my friends, you don't want to live under someone who is a driver. Psalm 23, 2, he leads me. It's a led life. Secondly, Psalm 23, 4, he is an accompanied life. You are with me. The shepherd is with his sheep. And Jesus said, lo, I am with you. An enhanced life is a life that lives with a conscious awareness of the presence of God. Wherever I am, wherever I am. Proverbs, uh, tw uh, Psalm 23, again, verse 3. He walks, he walks, and his walk is secure. He walks with me. Not only his presence, he's willing to go where I go because I will never lead him in a place where he cannot lead me. His walk is secure. I'm sorry, that's Proverbs 3.23. That's number three. His walk is secure. He doesn't need to feel that anything will catch up to him that he hopes doesn't. Number four. He is a trustworthy person. Proverbs 10.9, he is a trustworthy person. An enhanced life, my friends, is a life that is lived by someone that can be trusted. Number five, I love this. Isaiah 30.21. Isaiah 30.21, his life is divinely guided. Isaiah 30.21 says, and in your ear you shall hear a voice saying, this is the way Walk ye in it, divinely led, right here on earth now. Obedience to God's word does not stifle life. It releases it to enjoy life's freedom. It enhances the quality of life. You know how wonderful, my friends, I was thinking of, I saw someone breaking into a place on the news the other day, and I thought, He's, this guy stole a lot of jewels or whatever it was he was stealing. And I thought, he has to go to bed every night wondering if I'm going to get caught tonight. He, when he goes to sell it, he has to wonder, <laughs> will they know that I stole this? But when you are led by Jesus Christ, when you are led by abiding in the word, you never have to second guess your behavior because you know that you are guided by him. Lastly, it encompasses every quarter of life. Listen to what he says. And whatever he does, this is talking about his moral behavior, his ethical, whatever he does. It doesn't matter what it is. I, someone was asking me if when we go to this conference, uh, not conference, it's a retreat, if we get time to rest. And I, I said, well, yeah, we do. And one of the things that I do not, even when I'm, I'm alone, in the, in the hotel there, I don't turn the television on. I just say, okay, this, this, is, this is time to, uh, only if something is happening that I need to hear, but I don't go upstairs and turn the television. I, yeah, I, go, I go to the computer, and I see if there are messages, and I see if things, but I usually, I, 
if I, if I get a room that shows me the ocean, I'll look at the ocean, but I don't know if I will this time or not. But are there areas of your life that is reserved for you and not for God? Whatever he does. One of my favorite verses, Psalm 101, verses 2 and 3. I will not allow any, any wickedness to pass before my eyes. I will keep myself of what, from watching anything that can, that can darken my spirit. I will walk in my house in my integrity. Am I true to you when I'm at home? Am I true to you when, when I'm at, at the store? Whatever he does, he prospers. That's how encompassing it is. The reason Joseph was able to make an impact upon Egypt is because his private world, as well as his public world, was one. Proverbs 11 says that God loves a balanced life, a life that is true one way here and true the same way there. You know, privatization is a big thing in our time. Don't bring your religion into my world. Keep that at home. No, my friends, if I am truly religious, as we will see next Sunday, if I'm truly, it has to go out there because it has to do with my behavior. It has to do with my behavior. Daniel won the favor of Nebuchadnezzar because he was a man whose life was such that he made an impact, if you please, upon his enemy. Nehemiah, he was the king's cupbearer. That means that he had to taste everything before it was given to the king. Taste everything before the king would put it in his mouth. You know what's really neat about that? Is that the king was a Gentile king. Nehemiah was a Jew. My friends, a Gentile king was trusting a Jew to preserve his life. That's the kind of life that we are called to live. May, 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 I make, may I make just one thing as I come to the end? When we moved to Toronto, Lois and I were looking for work. And Lois got a, a job. She's a school teacher and was teaching. But we had just moved to Toronto. And someone told us we'll never get a teaching job there. She only got one for 31 years afterwards. <laughs> But we got, she got a job at a catering place. And if you know the catering guys, their language is not the best. And there are times when the boss would ask Lois to leave the room because he wanted to swear. Literally. But one day there was a robbery. And the police came in. And they're searching and searching. And there was one person that was not under suspicion. And the, the, the police asked the boss, is this everyone? And well, he said there's a lady here, but we are sure that we have no reason to include her in the lives of those who have been interrogated. For that short time Lois was there, she caused them to have a trust in her because her life was ruled by the word of God. My friends, when we live that way in our world, the world will say, would you please take me to your Savior? Ladies and gentlemen, 
we would see Jesus. Let's pray. What a verse of scripture, Lord. So full, so pregnant with meaning. I pray that it will give birth to good hearers of the word so that we might become practitioners of the truth. Take these next moments, friends, to respond to God as he has spoken to you. Father, if we have come with a routine attitude, change that today. If we have come with a proud attitude, humble us today. And may we leave this place abiding, continuing in the truth so that the truth will control our lives and we will bring glory to you. In Jesus' name, amen.